I woke up this morning to some disturbing news and the sermon I planned on preaching is laying on my desk at home. So I took about 30 minutes and threw some stuff together that I really wanted, I th thought would be relevant this morning to address. Uh, I am naturally going to read scripture though. We're going to start out in Second Sam 1 Samuel chapter 15. I'd like to read this and then I want to expound on what I believe the Lord showed me this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1, it says, Samuel also said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have. Do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in, now get this, he came to a city just bear in mind, not all of the Amalekites were in that city. And the instruction God gave him was to kill all the Amalekites, not just one city full. All right, you understand what's going on here? Okay. It's important that we see that. So he came to a city of Amalek and he lay wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, go, depart. Get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. Not all of the people in the Gaza Strip hate Israel. We need to understand that. There's some good people there. And they're going to suffer along with the bad people. So I, I pray this morning that God protects them. Because they're as innocent in this as the Israelis are. All right. So they would represent the Kenites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hevelah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Verse 80 says, he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel arose early in the morning, he went to meet, he met Saul. <clears throat> uh, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, indeed has set up a monument for himself. <laughs> And he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Verse 13, then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the cattle which I hear? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the ox to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Can't we make excuses for our sin? Huh? Hashtag manipulation and control. 
Huh? Deception. Because I can do this, but I can make it sound really good like God's in it. Are you hearing me? I, listen, I don't care how much people sing I love Jesus, how much scripture they read, how much prayer they have. If you're living a life of compromise and sin, it's all for nothing. It is. God gave him a command and he disobeyed that command, but he's making excuses for what he done. Well, I did it to sacrifice to God. I got a better idea than God's command. Look at all these nice sheep. We're going to give them to Jesus. Never mind the fact that I'm doing some really bad things, you know. Well, anyway, let me move on. <clears throat> to the sacrifice of the Lord God, but the rest we have, utter, we have utterly destroyed. You see how he threw his people under the bus? They did this, but we have utterly destroyed. Yeah. I've did a lot of research on this comparison between Samuel and Saul. I have to be careful because I can go down many different paths here with this thing. Let me stay on track here. And Samuel, verse 16, said to Saul, be quiet, exclamation mark. In other words, I don't want to hear it. Yeah. Shut your mouth, Saul. Now he's talking to the king. He just told the king to zip it, All right? Shut up. That's what we would say today. Of course, you don't tell your children to shut up. You tell them to hush up, all right? But anyway, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said, well, speak on. Very nonchalantly, like, I'm, okay, whatever. Verse 17, and Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not the head of the tribes of Israel? Did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, the sheep, the oxen, the best things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, in the, in the accurate Hebrew translation, it actually is rebellion is the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words. Now, if he'd have stopped right there, he would have been good. He would have done the same thing that King David did when he sinned. I've sinned against God. But he continued on. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Again, making excuses. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. Father, I ask you today, Lord, to teach us from your word. God, the consequences of disobeying you. 
the, the far-reaching consequences of disobeying you. And Lord, how important it is for us to know your word and to obey it, Lord. We're seeing today, God, the results of that man's disobedience. And it's horrible. So God, we pray you teach us today, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I guess everybody saw the news this morning. If you didn't, we woke up this morning to the news that Israel has been under attack. It's a concerted attack. It's been planned for months, maybe even years, right under their nose, and they didn't, they, their intelligence didn't pick up on it. They, uh, Hezbollah in, in Lebanon and Hamas in the Gaza Strip, has, they're firing. Right now it is, uh, let's see, it is five. It's probably about six, 650. It's, it's getting ready to get, the darkness is setting in in Israel right now. So they've been all day long. They've been firing thousands and thousands of missiles. They blew through a, a wall and entered into uh, Israeli-held territory, into residential areas, going door-to-door, -door, taking captive Jewish families. Thousands. Thousands are wounded. The last report I heard uh, uh, confirmed over 600 dead. And Israel right now is... Setting, uh, getting ready to, to put ground troops in, going into the Gaza Strip to uh, execute the, the largest rescue mission known in human history. Church, this stuff is significant. And I can't imagine the, the horror of what these families are going through. I was in the prayer room with the worship team this morning I was looking at Kim and her little children and I was thinking about those families they're, they're, they're in horrible I don't even want to expound on what's going on right now with those families just, just imagine somebody kicking your door down taking your family captive man beating you, tying you up and making you watch what they do to your family it's just it's horrible, horrible so how did we get here? I thought the best thing for me to do is just give you a little history about how we got here. For those of you that might be new Bible students, you understand that the Jewish people are God's chosen people. He chose a man named Abram out of the Ur of the Chaldees. He called him out and said, you go in the land that I will show you. I am going to give it to you and to your seed after you. Your seed is going to be like the numbers of the stars in heaven, like the sands of the sea. We are a part of that. The Bible says, if you be in Christ Jesus, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are spiritual Jews by birth. We're not replacing the Jews. We don't believe in replacement theology. In other words, the church is not the, God, the Jewish people. The Jewish people are Jews by birth. It's in their blood. It's in their DNA. You can take the DNA of a Jew right now and tell exactly what tribe he came from. And so God called him out of the earth of the Chaldees, and he said, I'm going to make my covenant with you and Sarah. And so his covenant was supposed to be with the offspring of Sarah, which would be Isaac. All right? We know the story. Sarah got impatient. She brought Hagar. He had a son named Ishmael, who was the father of the Arab nations. Later, he had a son named Isaac, to whom the covenant would go. 
and his covenant was, was Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. All right. And God ruled over them. He ruled over them through the patriarchs. Then he, he, he do you know the story about Joseph? How Joseph, the, the, the child of, uh, of Rachel, was sold into slavery. They wound up in Egypt. And through Joseph, they were brought out of Egypt. All right. And then they wandered in the wilderness led by Moses, who was their leader. Now, God is still their king. This whole time, God is their king. Then they go into the promised land led by Joshua. After that, they were led by the, the, the when I say led, they were governed by the judges. And then they started looking at the, at the countries around them and they said, we want a king just like they have. And up until this time, God was their king. But they said, we want a king. So they established the, the rule and government just like every other nation now, we could go political here, and I won't, I'll only do this in mentioning it for, for one minute, if you'll allow me. God has always been involved in their government. It was always the king, and he ruled by the word of the prophet. Yes. You know, so when I hear leadership saying the church needs to stay out of politics, it infuriates me. That is the last thing the church needs to do. Yeah. I could not disagree with that statement more. God has always spoke to the king through the prophet. And the church, the reason that the government is turned upside down is because the church has bowed out. The church needs to be involved in the government. That's another soapbox. I'll get off of that one. But So he, he raised up a king. And the king's name was Saul. We just read about him. All right. And he turned out to be an evil king. After him, God raised up David, who was a man after God's own heart. The Bible says that David was perfect in all of his ways, and he obeyed all the commandments of God, save his transgression with Bathsheba. All right. After him, Solomon became king. After Solomon, his son Rehoboam became king, and then the, and the, and the kingdom split into the northern ten tribes and the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, all right? Later on, the northern 10 tribes, now let me just make one other very important point. People talk about the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Church, there's no such thing. It's nonsense. Because if you read, if you read the Bible, it tells you that men from every tribe came back to to Jerusalem. And so when the Babylonians took the southern kingdom captive, there was men from every tribe in the south and the bloodline of the tribes is in the men. It's in the fathers. And so when they were taken captive into Babylon, all 12 tribes were taken captive there. You can take the DNA from a Jewish man today and tell that he is from the tribe of Asher. How did we get a son of Asher alive in 2023? If the 10 tribes were lost, Asher would have been lost. His bloodline wouldn't be here today. I talked to a Jewish rabbi, to a Messianic Jew. I was like, can you tell me what tribe you're at? He said, every Jew knows what tribe he's from. And they're all 12 still here today. So when you hear this nonsense about the 10 lost tribes of Israel, they don't know what they're talking about. Thank you. Thank you. 
So the, the tribes were taken captive. The northern tribes were taken captive by Syria. And then later on, God sent Jeremiah to warn Hezekiah that he needs to yield to Babylon. And he ignored him. And so because of his rebellion, they were taken, the southern tribes were taken captive by the Babylonians. This is during the time of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, during that period of time. Okay, that's when all that took place because they were brought in and taught the things of the Chaldeans or the Babylonian wise men and philosophers. Okay, and so they were taken captive by the Babylonians and then later on, the Babylonians were overthrown by the Medes and Persians. Now, this is important because in today's history, that matters. The modern day Persians are the Iranians. Are you hearing me? It's Iran that has an intrinsic hatred for the Jewish people. And they are sworn to their annihilation to the death of the very last Jew. They want every one of them dead and wiped off the earth. All right, now during this time when the Medes and the Persians overthrow the Babylonians, then you've got Cyrus comes into power and Cyrus, he found favor through, through Daniel in the Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and through those guys. And they wanted to go back to their city. So he allowed them to go back and to rebuild their temple. This is during the book of Haggai. If you read Haggai the prophet, he talks about the prophet. He prophesies and God says, why do you dwell in your sealed houses Why my house lays waste? Consider your ways. You work for much, but lo, it comes to little. You put your money in bags, but the bags have holes in them. Consider your ways. And so what he is doing, he's calling Haggai to prophesy for the rebuilding of the temple. So he sends Zerubbabel and, and, uh, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, back, and they rebuild the temple during this time under the rule of the Persian king Cyrus. And then later on, Darius becomes king, and then he has a, a heart for Daniel. Okay, he loved Daniel, and Daniel goes back and rebuilds the wall. So he's allowing the Jewish people back into their city. And church, it's their possession. It's always been their possession. And the people who infiltrated it then thinks it belongs to them. It doesn't belong to the Palestinians. It's never belonged to the Palestinians. It belongs to Israel. Always has given to them by God. In fact, if you want to get right down to it, Abraham was promised everywhere his foot touched. He left in Iran and went all the way to Egypt. Do you look at the map? All of that belongs to the Jews. But right now, there's a war going over on over a strip of land 70 miles wide and 120 miles long. Why is the eyes of the world on a piece of ground smaller than the state of New Jersey. Every morning, Jeannie and I, we get up, we watch the news because I want, I, I want to be relevant on current events. You know why we watch the news? What do we say, babe? Still on the map. Let's get up and see if Israel's still on the map this morning. The eyes of the world is on a little piece of ground, 70 miles wide and 120 miles long. Why? Because the word of God is true. And what he said is going to happen, 
it's going to happen. When God says it shall come to pass, friend, it shall come to pass. And we know those things to be true. Now, let me fit, fit one other story into this. During this time, there was a king named Artaxerxes. He had a wife named Estra. Uh, um, what was her name? Visra. Visra was the queen. And he, he throws a banquet and he sends for her. And she said, I'm not coming. And he said, excuse me. When the king tells you to come, you best get up and get here and get here quick. And so he banishes her. He throws her out of the kingdom. And now he needs a new wife. And so he has all the virgin women that's beautiful brought together and, and they're trying to prepare so he can go out and like, hmm, I'll take that one. Pretty much is how it went down. Well, there was a, there was a, there was a young Jewish girl that was an orphan by her parents at a, young, at a young age and she was raised by her uncle Mordecai. And, and he, uh, he told her, her, name, her Jewish name was Hadassah. He said, Hadassah, this may be the opportunity for you. You're, you're beautiful and all this. And, and long story short, he chose her to be his wife. And so during this same time, there was a servant and it is so important that you get this. There was a servant under his rule named Haman. Haman hated the Jews for one reason, because they were Jews. The only crime that the Jewish people are guilty of in Israel today is they're Jews. That's it. They've done nothing to anyone. They're Jews and they're hated because Satan hates them. I told the security team this morning, I said, I have no idea how far this will reach. Satan hates the Jewish people. Trust me, he hates the church even more. So the churches across America and around the world ought to be on high alert because this is a spiritual thing. What's happening is not just people. They're motivated by a demonic power fulfilling the, command, the, the word of the Lord. God said these things shall come to pass. And they are going to come to pass. And we're seeing it right now. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. It's what we're seeing right now. I don't know the extent to which it'll go. I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but it's, it's beginning. And the Bible tells us when you, you begin to see these things, lift up your eyes towards the eastern sky, for your redemption draweth nigh. Church is getting close. Right, when we're seeing this, it's getting close. Well, Mordecai overheard two men plotting to kill the king. And he went and warned the guards that, uh, of this, this assassination attempt. And they headed it off. Well, the king never knew anything about it. Meanwhile, Haman is trying to, trying to annihilate the Jewish people. And he raises, he, he, he files charges against the Jewish people to the king. And he gets the king, this Iranian king. I said, Iranian king, are you hearing this? this Iranian king, this Persian king, to sign a document that every single Jew will be killed on a single day. That your neighbor, every neighbor, if you've got a Jewish neighbor, you rise up, you kill him on this day, and when you do, his possessions will belong to you. 
I ran today from the top right on down. They swear and declare that they will annihilate every Jew. They want every Jew in the world dead. And they come right out and say it. And they're trying to get a nuclear warhead in Iran. That's why there's so much concern about that and why Israel is, is determined that Iran will never get a nuclear warhead because they know they're going to use it against them. What we're seeing today is Iran, Iran's behind the whole thing. All right, so this Iranian king, he signs the decree that every Jew will be killed on a single day. Well, Haman finds out about this. I mean, uh, Mordecai, he finds out about this. And so he goes to Esther. He says, Esther, you have to go before the king. He's already signed a decree on this day, every Jew is gonna die. That includes you, Esther. Doesn't matter that you're the king's wife. You're a Jew. You will die. She says, I can't go before the king. No one can come before him unless they're summoned. And if you go before him and he doesn't hold out the scepter, you will be put to death. And he said, well, no one else can do this. Perhaps you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. And so she has the Jewish people, all of them on this day to fast and pray and she said, I'm going to go before the king, and if I die, then I die. And so she goes before the king, and he loves her. And so he holds out the scepter, and she comes back, and she doesn't spill the beans right then. She says, I'm going to throw a banquet for you, and I want you to come. And we're going to invite Haman as well. All right? And so she plans this feast for him. Well, meantime, the king can't sleep. He gets up and he's wandering around and anybody ever had him, had what you call insomnia and couldn't sleep? Well, he had that. And so he starts going into, I, I, I've told people if you, if, you're sleep, if you can't sleep, read, right? Because you can read something, it usually puts me right to sleep. Well, the king started reading the archives of the kingdom and he finds out that there was a, an assassination attempt against him and it was headed off by a man named Mordecai. And so he calls his servants and he says, has this man ever been honored for what he did? And they said, no, he hadn't. And so he, he calls in Haman. Now Haman hates Mordecai because when he would ride through the gates on his big stallion horse or whatever, everybody would bow. Mordecai just stand there and look at him because Mordecai didn't like him. All right. He hated Mordecai. Mordecai didn't care much for him either. And so he hated Mordecai and he wanted to put to death. In fact, he built a gallows just for Mordecai. He was going to hang him on it. The day he can kill the Jews, you can have everybody else, but Mordecai belongs to me. And he's going to take him and hang him on these gallows. And so the king finds out that this man has never been rewarded for heading off this assassination attempt. So he calls Haman and he says, what should I do to honor a man who's done a great service to me. Well, he thinks the king's talking about him, right? He said, well, what I'd do is I'd take the king's robe and I'd put it on him. I would set him up on the king's mule and I would lead him through the streets in honor. He said, that sounds great. Go get Mordecai and put him on the mule and you lead the mule. <laughs> Hadn't, God's got a sense of humor, don't he? Hamas better watch out. 
They're not thumping the nose of Israel. Friend, they're thumping the nose of Almighty God. You, you hear me? You mark my word. Hezbollah, you have no idea what you're getting into. Let me, I just, on the way to church this morning, I was thinking about this, and I remember, I probably shouldn't laugh at this, but it absolutely cracked me up every time I saw it. It was on Fox News years ago, and it was this boy, he was kind of baby Huey type guy, you know, he was big, he was overweight, and he was kind of clumsy and all, and it was this little bitty kid was like, hit him in the jaw, you know, and he's like, hitting him and stuff. And this big guy's like, go on, leave me alone. Go on, leave me alone. And finally, he had enough. And that big boy picked him up over his head and just slammed him on the sidewalk. Right? Do you remember that? And I shouldn't laugh, but I thought it was hilarious. This kid got up and goes, I was like, served you right, you little punk. You, you don't need to thump the nose of a big boy, right? Come on, you know what I'm saying? That's Hezbollah. That's Hamas. It's kind of like when Japan bombed America and, and uh, Hashimoto, I think his name was, he said, I fear that we have an awakened a sleeping giant. And boy, did they ever. What they did yesterday, they have no idea what they've just opened up. They've done popped the top on a can of beat down that they didn't want to open up, I promise you. Well, Haman's done that. And so at the feast, Haman finds out that they know about the plot. And so he goes and lays down on the bed with Esther, the king's wife, and the king comes in and there's his wife and Haman's laying on the bed with her. And he's like, what, what are you doing? And so finally, Esther reveals to him that on this day that you sign this decree, every Jew is to die. And this is the work of Haman. He's doing this. And by the way, O king, I'm a Jew. He wants to kill your wife. And so the king has Haman taken out and hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. So what's significant about all of that? Haman was an Amalekite. You hearing me? He was the guy that God told King Saul to kill them, to kill all of them. Now, God wasn't telling them to do something evil so that good could prevail. He's telling them that there is a gangrene limb on this body that needs to be cut off or it's going to infect the whole body. Sometimes you've got to cut off something that's gangrene because if you don't, it will spread to the entire body and kill the entire body. And so what he's saying is you need to kill every last one of them because if they are left alone, they will corrupt the Jewish people. And because King Saul disobeyed the voice of God, we're seeing the outcome of that today because right now, Iran is nothing more than the Persian king that had assigned a decree that assigned a decree that every Jew will die on a single day. Church is the same thing. And Hamas, Hamas 
is Haman. It's the spirit. See, today we don't know for sure where the Amalekite people actually reside. Because the best I can understand that they were, they were nomadic. They, didn't, they never had land that belonged to them. The land that belonged to the Palestinians, they've been nomadic. They, they don't own property. The reason that they were so hated, the Amalekites, by, the, by God's people, is when the, Egyptian, when, when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, they had little babies and they had older aging people and, and women. And sometimes people would lag behind and they would get left behind. Well, every time somebody would, it's like the sheep getting away from the flock. They're not safe anymore. And the Amalekites, they were sneaky cowards, just like terrorists are today. They won't fight face to face. They sneak around. And, and so they would brutally murder the people that lag behind. And so that's what we're seeing today. Now, when we got up this morning, it's interesting that this attack came 50 years and one day to the day from the attack by Egypt and Syria in 1973. And the reason they attacked is in response to the Six-Day War in 1967. Because in 1967, there was a, a concerted effort by Syria, Jordan, uh, Egypt and Lebanon, I think, if my, if my history is right, to leave money out. And they were attacking to try to take the land from Israel. But to show you that there is a God that watches over Israel. Not only did they defend themselves against four countries, it might have been five, I know it was four, but they took back territory that wasn't originally theirs. They only had half of the city of Jerusalem. The Six-Day War, they got all of it. They didn't have the Gaza Strip. They didn't have the Golan Heights, and they took all of it in six days and defeated all of those armies. I heard, now I can't confirm that this is true, but I heard that the Egyptians retreated so fast back towards the Suez Canal that they got out of their tanks and just left them and ran. And it was reported by some of the driver, tank drivers that there were men dressed in white with swords that stood tall, standing in their paths and wouldn't let them pass. Angelic beings. Come on, God fights for Israel. But church, it doesn't change the fact that there's flesh and blood involved in this today. We sat here in the comfort of our church. We're getting ready to have an Acts 2 dinner after. We're going to enjoy our time of fellowship together. But there's some hurting, hurting people this morning. And nightfall is coming, and the war rages on right now. This morning, or sometime today, Israel officially declared war against Hamas. It's the first time they declared war since 1967 in 50 years. And they are at war. Now, what the extent of that is going to be, I don't know. I, I can tell you what I do know according to Scripture. We are going to see building up to the revealing of the Antichrist. We read in 2 Thessalonians, I think it's chapter 2 or chapter 4. It might be chapter 5. But anyway, it talk, I think it's chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, it says, Lawlessness is already at work. Only he, a capital H, referring to the Holy Spirit, 
Only he that restrains will restrain until he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed. And it goes on to describe him. He said, he, he, he comes in the power of Satan and he will stand in the temple of God and declare that he is God. And so what he's talking about is the Antichrist. And the revealing of the Antichrist is being restrained right now by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where is the Holy Spirit? Know you not that you're the temple of God and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. The Holy Spirit dwells in the church. I believe, thoroughly believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And I believe that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the only thing that's keeping the enemy at bay right now. The church, if we are approaching what I think we're approaching, when the rapture of the church comes out, when he is removed, the Bible says when he is taken out of the way, then that lawless one will be revealed, the son of perdition, who will stand in the temple of God declaring that he is God. And so what we're seeing is the stage being set for that. Someone told me today, said, I believe we're going to see the Dome of the Rock flattened. That may be true or not. I don't know. Because I did some research years ago about where is the actual location of the temple. We've always, a lot of people have always believed it's on the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock stands. You can't be, rebuild the temple as long as the Dome of the Rock is there, as long as the mosque is there. And so that has to be removed. But my research shows me that actually the Temple Mount, the, the temple location is just to the south of that, looking at where the well of David and all was located. So whatever the case there, I just know the temple will be rebuilt. And all of this is working up towards the revealing of the Antichrist and towards the rapture of the church and those things taking place. In the meantime... We're called to pray for the peace in Israel. You know, and we shouldn't wait for something like this to happen before we pray for the Jewish people. And, and we don't. But this morning specifically, I, I didn't preach because I just wanted to give you that history and show you the significance of what's happening, the best I understand it, and what I believe that God is getting ready to do. And also to call the church to prayer. You know, because I, I don't know what exactly is going on there. I know they're getting ready to launch a ground offense, um, offensive against Hamas. They're, they're going in because uh, they've been keeping them at bay. But um, I was glad to see the president stand and say America still stands with Israel and that we're going to support her. Now, I don't know if there's any teeth behind that remains to be seen, you know. Historically, the Democrat Party hasn't been a real friend to Israel. You may be a Democrat in here. I don't mean to offend you. But I'm just telling you, historically, the Democrat Party has not been a friend to Israel. In fact, there are some in Senate and the Congress that hate Israel. You know, so I don't know if there's any teeth to that promise or not. Uh, but I pray that America does. God said, I will bless them that bless Israel. And I will curse them that curses her. And so I continue to pray that America stands beside her. Um, I've always been pro-Israel. Always will be. And uh, I pray that America continues to do that. So I'm, I'm glad that he stood and at least said that. I was also pleased this morning when I got up, I'm flipping through the channels. And some of them that are very secular news channels, they never give Israel a break. 
Every time Israel does something, they always paint them as the aggressor and the poor old Palestinians as the victim. Just, oh, why don't they just tell the truth for once? Well, today they did. I was so pleased to see secular news actually speaking of Israel in a positive context and saying that Israel has the right to their sovereignty. They have the right to defend themselves. And brother, they're getting ready to do that. You know, I, I don't know how far this is going to reach, but I can tell you, this is what I believe is going to happen. Just what my gut tells me. At some point, you have to understand, these are, these are people that attack them, are people that has for, for millenniums has hated Israel. For millenniums, they are sworn to the annihilation of every Jew. But according to scripture, at some point, they're going to make a treaty with Israel, a seven-year treaty, which will mark the beginning of the seven-year tribulation period. Three and a half years into that treaty, it will be broken by the Antichrist. At that point, Satan himself will enter that man. It'll be a human being, a man. The, the beast is not a machine in Belgium, just so you know. The Antichrist is a person. And in three and a half years, Satan himself will enter into the Antichrist and there'll be a bloodbath like the world has never seen before. And so at some point, the point I'm trying to make, at some point, the people that are sworn to, a, to the annihilation of Israel will sign a peace treaty. What will it take to bring them to that point? I think we're getting, I think we're getting ready to see what it's going to take. Because I got a feeling that what is getting ready to happen over there, if you were a Jewish soldier right now and they just took your neighbors captive and they are doing unspeakable things to the women and children and men, that's your friends, your families, what are you going to do? Every Jewish soldier right now, no matter what his political position because they're divided politically like we are here. They got all kinds of different parties. I think they get, we're pretty much a two-party nation, Republicans and Democrats. Over there, they got four or five. So no matter what their political arraignment, no matter what their issues are, right now they are as united as they've ever been. And they are each and every one 110% in. And brother, they're getting ready to go in there and do some serious, serious knockdown. And I believe that it's going to be so severe that the, that the Hezbollah, Iran, and all the rest of them is going to finally say, all right, look, we, what do we got to do to come to the table and, and make peace with you? It's got to happen at some point. And I believe we're seeing the beginning of that taking place. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. In the meantime, it doesn't lessen the suffering Thousands of people wounded. You know, I think about here in America when COVID hit and our hospitals didn't even have room for everybody. Over there, they've got less medical facilities than we do here. And thousands of people are flooding their hospitals. And thousands more coming, probably. Thousands of missiles being fired in nonstop. America, I hope and pray, is going to continue to support their Iron Dome progress because they're going to take a lot of missiles to keep those missiles from coming in and striking 
And they don't get them all. Some of them gets through. You know, I remember I was in my backyard one night and over Holly Grove, it's like through the woods from my house. They were having some kind of fireworks or something and I didn't know about it. All I'm hearing is just boom, boom. I'm thinking, dear God, are we being attacked? What is that? But suddenly it dawned on me, what would it be like to be sitting in your living room and all of a sudden your neighbor's house just explodes from a missile hitting it. And you hear one over there and one over there and one over there and they don't stop. Seeing Israel hearing, hearing sirens to get into bunkers because you're under an aerial attack from missiles is a common occurrence over there. We have no idea what that's like. And right now, it has been multiplied by thousands. Church, we need, to, we need to pray for these people. And I believe that today, all around the nation, I hope the churches are doing the same thing that we're doing today. I pray that this will unite the church because the church, wokeism has entered into the church and is taking the church into a path that's just ungodly and turning their back on Israel. Hopefully, this will wake up the church in America to get back on track. So what we're going to do, I'm going to ask the worship team if they'll join me up here on the platform. And uh, I asked Hunter if he would um, just put on some music or play something for us. And I'm going to ask you if you would just join me as we come to the altar for the sole purpose of praying for the Israeli people today. Pray for their military. Pray for these families that's been taken captive. Pray that they are delivered from this. God protect them. I won't even let my mind, dads, come on. I won't let my mind go there of what's, what. How helpless these men must feel. Men, you protect your, your family, Right? I can't imagine. And it angers me. I have to be careful to keep my heart right, you know, because kill the Amalekites, all of them. Why? Because it's gangrene. But at the same time, there's some Kenites there. All right, remember that. There's some people there, and they may be of the same, they may be family members. Because, listen, there are some Christian Arabs in that region. They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. They're caught up in the middle of this. They don't want this any more than the Jews do. So you can't just get hatred, let hatred come into your heart just because they are of that nationality. We have to place the blame where it belongs. It belongs on the terrorist that, that's, that's taken the, the, the stance that the Amalekites have taken. And God says, annihilate them. That's not just an Old Testament thing. I believe that God is with them. Eventually, this is leading up to Gog and Magog attacking Israel. And the Bible says that Israel don't have to worry about that fight because God's going to take up the battle that day and consume them with the fire of his mouth. In the meantime, we saw God step into the scene in the Six-Day War and do things that were miraculous. I believe that God's going to do that again because he's not going to turn his back on Israel. Israel's the apple of his eye and he's with her and he's going to protect her, but that doesn't stop us from praying for her. So Hunter is about ready.
I'm going to set this flag right in the center of our pulpit so we remember exactly what we're doing and who we're praying for here. And if you're not pro-Israel, I don't know what to say. You're in the wrong church. Don't mean to offend you, but... Amen. We're pro-Israel. We're pro-Israel. I love you. I pray that you see what I'm saying, you know. I'm not trying to be harsh or anything, but how many stands with Israel this morning? Why don't let's stand with them then? Let's stand with them. If y'all will join me at the altar, we'll pray for a little bit, and then I'll get up and close us in prayer and
when the uh, children of Israel would rise up on their journey, they would cry, they'd have a, a crier, and he would cry out, Rise up, O God, let the enemy be scattered. The whole time they were wandering in the wilderness, they were surrounded by the enemy. And God did rise up. And the enemy was scattered. And that's my prayer today. God, rise up. Let the enemy be scattered. It happened in the Six-Day War. I believe it's going to happen again. You know, I pray for the military, that God protects them. He gives them great victory. I pray for the fathers in those homes that were, where their families was taken captive that a supernatural power comes upon them and they're able to defend their families. After the Holocaust, the Jewish people said never again because they were a passive people, but never again. The Jewish people are fighters today and they have to be. Americans are fighters. Come on, we fought for our freedom and we fought to keep it. We fought for the freedom of another, a lot of other people. People want to paint America in a bad light, and she's not perfect. I get that. But there's a lot of people free today because of American soldiers bled and died on their, their soil to, to set them free and to keep them free. We should never forget that. And it's not unchristian to fight. I did a whole sermon on that. You're right for self-defense. It's biblical. And Israel has the right to defend herself. It's biblical. In fact, she's expected to by God. And I can take you to the scripture and show you. Maybe I need to do that sermon again. It's biblical. And so I pray for the soldiers that God will just give them great victory. I pray the fathers in their homes, God, give them a supernatural power to defend their families. Somebody kicks through the door. I hope they meet on the other side of that door and Israel is standing there with a, whatever he's got. I don't know what an Israeli weapon looks like, but there's a lot of them over there. I know that. Most of all, I pray for peace. Don't want them to fight. They don't want to fight. They just want to live in peace. They didn't ask for this. Just like when Japan bombed America, we didn't ask for that either. And they woke up a sleeping giant. Well, I pray that the The giant they see is dressed in white. Amen. And he rises up. When I was praying, I was reminded of the fact that once one angel drew his sword, and with one swipe of his sword, 70,000 men died in the Bible. I'm like, God, send a whole host of them over there with their swords drawn to do battle for the Jewish people. I'm not just exaggerating. God send the whole heaven's host to fight for them. And I believe he will. I believe he's going to. I do. I believe that. So we're going to be watching the news in the next few days to see what happens. Continue to pray for Israel. Uh, is Benjamin uh, Nathan, 
by who's he in command now, right? They, they switched back and forth so many times. Benjamin's back in there now, isn't he? Benjamin, uh, Nathan Bahu. Uh, from what I know, he's a good man. He, he's, uh, there, there's no perfect people. And we want to find the faults in people and make that the, the headline story when there's so much other good things about them we want to just forget, you know. Maybe I'm sticking out of turn. I, I don't know if he's a corrupt man or not. I think he's a good guy. Good or not, he's in charge of the country. Let's pray for Benjamin. That God will guide him. I, can you imagine being in his position right now? The responsibility that he has, the decisions he has to make. They need our prayer, you know. Pray for Joe Biden. God will lead him. The Senate, Congress people leadership here in America because it's important what they do it's important not only to help the Israeli people but it's important to us because the way we treat Israel is going to be a, is going to be uh, instrumental in what happens to us in the supernatural realm now one day the Bible says every nation will turn against Israel I pray that never happens in our lifetime. I pray it never happens in, in the church's lifetime. I believe the church will be gone when that happens, but if I'm wrong, I pray that it doesn't happen in my lifetime or my children or my grandchildren. I, I don't want to see it happen ever, but one day it will. Let's pray it doesn't happen now. We've got from now to next November to get this thing right. So y'all stand with me before I say too much here. In the meantime, just be in prayer for not just that, but I'm sure England is involved now, Britain, and there's a lot of other nations that ally with Israel. And uh, before it's over, we may have American boots on the ground. We are their ally. And if they need us, wouldn't surprise me a bit to see some American tanks rolling them down the streets over there, if that's what they need. Yes, sir. Isn't she beautiful? That's my girl. I got a, I got several beautiful girls. I don't want to put Hunter on the spot, but this does affect him. But I just kept on. I just came in because I've been heavy on my heart. I've got friends in Israel right now, and and um, I just just feel the like intercession for our friends there and the in the Palestinian brothers and sisters that are believers. And um, I just kept hearing the song. Put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness, which is a scripture. Lift up your voice to God. Pray in the spirit and with understanding. You know, the, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in the spirit. And I know it's a time, there is a time of weeping and mourning. But I believe, I don't understand it. Supernatural stuff is hard to understand. But I know that there is power and there is authority that comes when we put on 
It's not about feeling. We're putting on the garments of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And there is a spirit of heaviness over our nation, over the world, really. I mean, let's not even talk about Russia and Ukraine. There's a, there's a spirit of heaviness. And I feel like the church, it's time for us to put on the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Lift up your voice to God. Pray in the spirit. Pray with understanding and know that it is mighty in the spirit. And there is authority that comes in the dancing. The dancing. Like sometimes we get real stiff in church. you got to be serious. There's times for dancing. Dance on the head. Stop the, the spirit that is trying to come in and bring division. Like God is moving. God is bringing peace. Uh, Saudi Arabia and Israel, they're coming together. The devil will not win. The devil will not win. There are going to be souls saved from this. Israel, we call salvation. Look up. Look up, Israel. Look up to the one. Jesus is king. Be king. Be king. Know your place, church. Know your place, church. Know your place, church. It's time to declare the truth. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. Dance. I'd say even physically, we need to stomp. You need to dance. I don't care how you dance. We need to dance. We need to dance on injustice. This is injustice. This is injustice. I will not stand and be meek and mild and quiet in the spirit. So I don't know if I don't want to go out here heavy. I want to go out with victory, victory in Jesus. Amen. Let's close with a song of victory then. The, the one that came to mind was I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. He's under my feet. Huh? Because that fits what I believe the Lord just said right to charity. Okay. All right. Amen. Let's do it.
You know, we first started church, we did a bunch of dancing. I used to tell people, if you can't get it off the ground, then just move it around. <laughs> I was younger back then. I could get it off the ground a little better than I can now. <laughs> well, amen. Listen, I'm looking forward to having a time of fellowship with you. And, and I don't have to remind you. And, and Charity, thank you for that word. It, it reminds us. Of, it, it's hard to separate that. My heart breaking for those families that's in captivity over there and what they're going through. And, but, she, but she is right. The weapons of our warfare are mighty through God to pull down those strongholds. And we want to remember that. God, <clears throat> you're still on the throne. This didn't take you by surprise. I always have to remember that. This didn't take you by surprise. God's got a plan. And, it, and it's a good plan. Amen. He promised Israel. Is it in Isaiah? I think it's in Isaiah. I, I have good for you and not evil. Yeah. I have planned good for you, Israel. And listen, we claim that as the church has promised, but actually that promise was to the nation of Israel. I have plans for you for good and not evil. And so, God, we know that you're, you're at work and how that's all going to pan out, we don't know, Lord, but we just continue to pray, Lord. And we do praise you, God, because you still sit up on the throne, God. You rule and you reign. Yes. And you reign in Israel, Lord. Yes. Jesus, I remember when you stood and looked over and you wept, God. You wept and said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft I would have taken you under my wings as a mother takes her chicks, but you would not. And so, Lord, help us to differentiate between our heartache, God, and our praise. So, Lord, we know how to sort those things out, Lord, but always keeping in mind that, God, you're in control. You really are. You really are. Now, Lord, as we go and sit together, Lord, at the table and have fellowship, Lord, and break bread to Together, Lord, you commanded us to do that, Lord. And you, you said in the book of Acts that they went from house to house, breaking bread and fellowshipping one with each other. So, Lord, I pray that you bless our time of fellowship today. God, bless our food. Lord, we give you the praise for it. Thank you for all those that's worked hard to, to prepare it and bring it today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church.